Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Alex Illingworth and Simon Edison, managers of the elite-rated Midwind International Investment Trust. Thank you both for joining us today. Welcome. Sorry. Um, first of all, the, the trust looks to tap into a number of worldwide themes. Could you maybe tell, talk to us about how you go about determining these trends and, and what they are currently? Yeah, so it's Simon Edelston here. Um, you know, we build the portfolio. You may ask yourself, why do you want to invest in global equities? Well, we think you want to invest in global equities because it allows you to invest in long-term growth trends, long-term growth industries around the world, and to invest in best-of-class businesses. Um, which sort of trends are we looking for? Well, often they're determined by changes in society, demographic trends, aging society, for instance, and Alex will talk later about our investments in healthcare, or also about uh, changing requirements like a, a, a need for, to grow productivity and profitability combined with technological changes, which leads us to investments in, in such areas as automation, which is another one of our larger themes we'll go into in a bit more detail. So basically, we're looking for long-term growth trends, uh, but then it's our job to identify how profitable those businesses are, how profitable those areas are, and then critically to make sure that we're investing in stocks, which are on sensible valuations in the stock market. Uh, because even when you've identified a good long-term trend, if you pay too much for a share, you won't make any money out of it. So our job is is not just to identify the themes, but also to make sure that we're investing our clients' money uh, where there's good value for money around the world. And you mentioned those those themes. There, obviously, some of them are extremely long term. Most of them are long term to some degree. How, how often do those trends change? Are they? Do you sort of review them on an annual basis? Is it ad hoc? And and maybe talk us through that as well, please. Yeah. So we review all of the themes every year. Um, we've got a team of uh, four people now, um, uh, and. Although the themes are very long-term in nature, uh, it's amazing how rapidly things change. Um, so four or five years ago, we were probably uh, quite concerned, more concerned about the aging population issues, for instance, in Europe. Um, Ten years before that, we would have been concerned about the aging population issues in Japan. And now we're more concerned about aging population uh, issues in China. Um, as the years roll by, these demographic change uh, uh, effects uh, do move around the planet. Some of them uh, are more critical in terms of rate of change of, of, of demographics. Uh, some of them are more critical in, in one place than another at different points in time. So you've always got to keep on top of them. Um, in fact, it strikes us when we read the newspapers uh, on, on these uh, themes, quite often people are years out of date just on the data. Uh, and then, of course, on top of that, we have to keep an eye on industrial changes and technology changes and the valuation changes in the market. So everything's reviewed every year. Um, that said, the themes in the fund we've got today, 90% of them have been in the fund for the last 10 years, as you would expect. Um, I wanted to go into a couple of those themes specifically. Um, you mentioned them both, automation and healthcare. Um, firstly, on automation, could you maybe tell us more about that theme and uh, sort of some of the trends that come out of it and also maybe an example of a holding as well, please? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Um, so automation obviously is a great beneficiary of near sourcing, greater efficiency of, and productivity um, of plant, but and also in terms of greater energy co uh, consumption efficiency. 
It's also, moreover, a beneficiary of US-China tensions and, of course, the supply constraints that we're seeing around the world today and the greater need for more product to be produced nearer to the market. Um, it's a theme that we've actually had in the, in the fund for a very long time, but the roadmap, which is our sort of precursor work before the theme is evidenced through stocks, was written many years before we were able to evidence the theme within the fund. And that was really because we were looking for certain catalysts to invest in the, um, in the, in the stocks, mainly on valuation. And the fascinating thing about automation is that really the very best automation stocks are all in Japan. And that may not surprise you given the conversation we've already had about demographics and the need for worker efficiency. Um, but given a global aspect, we can obviously access those ideas. And, and one example would be uh, one of Japan's greatest companies, really, in terms of returns, but a company called Cairns, um, which is you know a world leader, the world leader in vision and measuring instruments. And this all sells into factory automation to to make factories um, more efficient, more um, more productive, and run at lower costs. Um, the other trend I mentioned was obviously healthcare. You've got just a, under a quarter of the trust in healthcare at the moment. Um, does that theme cover topics like affordable healthcare or healthy lifestyle, or is it more geared towards sort of technology or innovation? Maybe maybe just talk us through that theme and, and sort of a general view on it as well, please. Yeah, so uh, you, you're correct to say that just over 20% of the fund is in the healthcare sector. Um, it's not quite fair to say that um, we have a theme which is just called healthcare. And in fact, we have two themes that fit into this sector. And the first theme is healthcare costs. And really what that theme is saying is try and find companies which can help the system reduce the cost of the provision of healthcare. We all know the cost of healthcare are going up. Demographics, again, are driving that. It is particularly problematic in America, which focuses our attention on those companies in America that are, are aiming to help Medicare in particular, reduce the cost of the provision of healthcare. And so one of the areas that we've been focused on there are the managed care companies, which are the insurance companies for, for private healthcare in America. And they're really the gatekeepers to reducing the cost, the cost of healthcare because they're doing and making the negotiations with the large providers of, 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 of healthcare kit. So that's that's one theme. There is a second theme around scientific equipment, which is much more related to your question around technology and innovation. And these are the testing companies, indeed, testing companies that many of us have had the unfortunate um, ability to be getting get close to during the, the, the pandemic. But these provide ever greater testing. They do the PCR testing. There is an enormous amount of innovation in this in this area. For example, around around sequencing, which has allowed the innovations such as mRNA, etc., and these these companies are playing a much bigger role in in healthcare today than they ever had before, because they are able to test for various diseases much earlier than we might have um, we might have been able to do before. But they're also able to decode everything to allow us to build new ways of designing. Medical, um, medical products, main, um, main, main, mainly drugs. So in, in conclusion, there are the two separate elements which build up to that large healthcare weight. And um, one of your healthcare stocks is, is, was one of your larger holdings in general, is obviously Pfizer. Could you maybe talk to us about why you added that and what's your outlook for Big Pharma also in the next sort of 12 to 18 months? Uh, yes, we, we're generally rather averse to investing in large pharmaceutical companies because the size of the bill, particularly in America, 
of drugs has become a political um, a political hot potato, um, and particularly uh, many members of the Democratic Party promised in the last election to try to get drug prices down. In America, a lot of patients pay quite a lot of their own drug costs. So the insurance companies pay part of the cost, and the patients themselves pay the rest of the cost. And often, of course, these patients are quite old and uh, often quite poor. So it, it, it's always a difficult political situation in America. Um, the reason that we're uh, happy to invest in Pfizer, but we avoid the other companies, is simply because the mRNA uh, vaccine against COVID that they have managed to produce in massive quantities to an incredibly high specification very rapidly over the last year shows how um, powerful and um, effective uh, the Pfizer company is. Pfizer didn't invent this mRNA drug um, themselves. Uh, it was invented by um, scientists in, in Germany um, in, in a separate company, but they scaled up the production so you've got billions of um, doses of vaccine uh, being sold around the world, as I'm sure you're aware. We also invest in Moderna, which is the other company um, that made mRNA. Uh, the exciting thing about mRNA vaccines is not just that the COVID vaccine worked first time. Um, this is the first time any mRNA vaccines have been given approval. Uh, obviously, it's been given to billions of people with practically no side effects. Um, whatever, whatever some people are saying on the web, um, and it, it stops people from dying. So um, if you want value for money, that's value for money. The technology itself uh, also looks like it will be able to, this mRNA uh, technology, basic biochemistry, uh, may well be able to be extended into um, treating forms of cancer as well. So the applications of this are very exciting for the future, and it rather separates out the two mRNA drug companies who have got the most advanced technology uh, from the others. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, uh, you'll remember earlier I said, whenever we pick a stock, find a theme, pick a stock, uh, we then look for value for money. Um, many commentators have said the American equity market's wildly expensive, much too expensive for people to invest in it. Uh, I think in, in traditional valuation terms, Pfizer at the moment's on a price earnings multiple uh, probably nothing, uh, something like 13 or 14 times for next year, which is historically a very modest multiple to pay for a big stock with a uh, with solid finances. It has a running yield of about three and a half, three and three quarter percent in dollars, which is um, again illustrates that this is not an expensive share, um, which is quite surprising to us given uh, what a good job it's done for the uh, for the world's population over the last two years. I'm going to switch to China briefly. Um, Obviously, it's taken up even more column inches than, than usual in the past few months. Uh, you sold all your China, you've sold all your China holdings earlier this year. Obviously, in hindsight, that looks like a great decision. Could you maybe explain why you made that decision and also what your outlook for China is and then going forwards? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk, uh, quite rightly, over the last 10 years about equity fund managers paying more attention to what's called ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, governance to us, uh, we take all of these issues seriously, but they're, they're more material in some stocks and some sectors, some themes than others. Um, governance to our mind is always a critical issue uh, when you're investing the public's money, particularly overseas. And one of the key aspects of governance is the attitude of government in any country we invest money. Um, 
it, it has always struck us that China's growth has come from introducing a certain amount of capitalism to a country which remains a communist country. Uh, but we've never taken it as read that they have an ambition to become like America tomorrow. In fact, um, it struck us, particularly with the current president, uh, that they're very skeptical about quite large parts of the capitalist model uh, and certainly very slow to introduce any extra elements of um, democratic government. Um, so we weren't all that surprised. We've always been on the lookout, I think it would be fair to say, in any steps back towards the more uh, traditional communist approach. And we felt that those had started about a year ago. The signs were clearly there. Uh, there was going to be a massive IPO of a company called Ant Financial last November. That was cancelled by Beijing. And so we started reducing our position at that point. Um, and I think one of the one of the points I'd make here is being a global equity investor, we've got lots and lots of places to invest money. And so we can set very high standards for governance. And if we have any doubts about what's going on somewhere, it's easy for us to move away and just uh, better safe than sorry, frankly. Uh, we don't know where it's all going to end. Um, it may well be that there's now a buying opportunity, but we, we prefer to be cautious on these things and give give things time to settle down. And clearly, there's been a much more dramatic move back towards communist ways than the market anticipated. Okay. And there are, you know, obviously ways of playing China without actually buying directly in China. And indeed, we do do that through our automation theme and in particular through the sustainable consumer theme, which owns a lot of luxury companies um, within it. It's just that we feel that our shareholder rights are likely to be upheld there, which may not happen in China. And therefore, the risk for shareholders and for our unit holders is too great. Okay. Um, you've talked a bit about ESG there, obviously, and I want to stick with that theme just for a moment. Um, as I said, you, you've sort of gone into a bit more on how, how you access risk, the risks of ESG. Could you maybe talk us a bit more about how you find new opportunities and maybe give us an example of that on, on the ESG side? Yeah, so the risks we've, we, we've covered a little bit. We also have some restrictions in the funds, meaning that there are certain sectors such as oil and gas that we, do, we don't go to. Um, we then take very seriously some of the issues around governance we've, we've talked about, but also on the environmental and social side. And we study the metrics that we think are material to the investment, the investment case. And what that can show is, um, in particular, what we're looking for is to try and penalize companies for externalities that they may incur that they haven't really been paying for in the, um, in the past, such as penalizing in terms of their cash flows, the, the cost of their scope one and scope two emission. But also this process allows you to look at companies which have been improving uh, over, the over the last few years and have positioned themselves to benefit from this trend. And one example, I guess, would be in the HVAC, in the air conditioning market, in a company called Train, which is an American, American business, uh, leading air conditioning, air conditioning company. And here they have shown their energy density to fall over the last 10 years. Scope 1 and 2 have fallen over the last 10 years consistently. And it's happened at the same time that there is an enormous extra demand for cleaner air, somewhat due to the pandemic, uh, more efficient air conditioning, less use, less use of chemicals. And they happen to have you know, world-leading world -leading products in a, in a sector which has seen secular growth. And maybe just to wrap up our ESG discussion a little more and come back to the trust's themes. The low carbon world is one of these worldwide trends we talked about. Do you foresee this low carbon portion of the portfolio growing significantly in the future? Um, well, this is, this is a very good example, actually, of putting together some of the things we've talked about this morning. Um, 
The low-carbon world theme for us was one that we started investing in perhaps six or seven years ago now. Uh, and so we were quite early investors into the companies building wind farms uh, in the North Sea, particularly Orsted, uh, which had been a fantastic investment for us o o over uh, the first few years that we owned it as um, uh, as uh, new energy companies got more and more uh, coverage in the press uh, and in the stock market, and uh, many investors uh, joined us in owning that company, which did a fantastic job. It, it's a Danish company, and yet it became the world leader um, in terms of uh, building wind farms. And once it had built wind farms, it would often sell the stakes in, in the uh, mature wind farms to other companies, releasing value for shareholders. So that was all quite clear. The valuation of the stock then went up a huge amount while we owned it. Um, we were then rather concerned over the last two years, I'd say, uh, that as governments, and particularly as the European Union and the European Investment Bank said, we will offer lots and lots of money to people to get into making wind farms. And the oil companies started saying, we want to start making wind farms. The rate of return on making wind farms was going down. The quality of the sites where people was making wind farms was going down because the windiest areas, the easiest sites had been used up. And so the rate of return on investment was falling just at a point in time when the rating on the shares had reached the maximum. So we started retreating from this. In fact, just recently, we've actually sold the last of our Orsted, having made um, very good money out of it over the years. So that is an example of one of these long-term themes where the markets just got rather carried away on valuation just at a point in time. Um, volumes may well carry on going up. More wind farms will get built, but the profitability is much, much lower than it was. On the other hand, we find new ways of expressing the same idea in parts of the market that people don't expect. Alex mentioned train, um, you know, new air conditioning um, going in for energy efficiency reasons. That seems to have, have accelerated considerably because also people are putting in new air conditioning to avoid COVID going around their offices. And so you've got two drivers at once. Um, also, we invest in things like railroads, because if you can get freight driven around by rail around the world rather than by trucking around the world, that will considerably reduce carbon emissions as well. So there's always different ways in which we can express the theme. Uh, and uh, there are always, well, there are almost always stops that we can move on to. Um, so that rather illustrates the point um, that we're trying to pull together here in terms of uh, explaining how we invest money. Yes, we look at long-term themes. That's where we think we're going to make our investors' um, wealth grow long-term. Um, but inside those themes, the critical issues are to keep up with uh, changing valuations and keep up with changing um, changing margin issues, changing profitability issues in the real world. And it's only by getting that combination together that you get a really effective portfolio. Uh, so it may well surprise people that um, the best years we think of our low carbon theme in terms of the wind farm part of it are behind us. But again, we find new ways of investing in this long-term trend, such as rail, such as air better air conditioning, other energy efficiency measures, and some aspects of automation as well will come into this. And that allows us to keep the theme going, find new ways of making money, and hopefully invest successfully for the future. And it's a combination of, of that and then trying to find a good balance between all these different themes. We have 
uh, eight or nine themes in the portfolio at any point in time. We've talked about two of the biggest ones, healthcare and automation, uh, but we also try to have a balance um, in terms of other, uh, other long-term themes such as um, more sustainable consumer stocks um, and also what's going on in the digital world. And that way, we build a well-balanced portfolio between a number of different themes which aren't too correlated, make sure we've got our eggs spread between different baskets and have a good balanced portfolio for the times ahead. Simon and Alex, that's great. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Pleasure. You're welcome. And if you'd like to learn more about the Midwind International Investment Trust, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.